0: Welcome to the Lair of Secrets podcast, a podcast exploring the sprawling caverns of gaming, hidden treasures of geekdom and the unexpected intersections of reality. In this episode, we're talking about Gen Con 2023, the mega game convention in Indianapolis, Indiana, which we both got to go to this year, rather yep. than just David. <laughs> so, <laughs> I happen to live a half an hour from it, so
1: it's easy for me to get to. It's not so easy for you to get for you to get there
0: from where you live. So this is true since I'm several states away. Uh yep. But you have a futon, and were willing to put me up on it. Um, I do. It was great. It was uh, it was huge. Uh, I was one of uh, the 70,000 attendees <clears throat> who decided to show up this year. Obviously, David was too, but um, I mm-hmm. added to the overall number to make it better than last year. That's huge. I think, <laughs> was, was it officially a record? Um, it was. I don't know if it was officially a record,
1: but it's definitely back to post-pandemic attendance. I think it did break Gen Con's attendance record. But they it's been breaking it for the last few years before COVID. And then it dropped pretty precipitously. But now it's, yeah, now it's back to huge and crowded.
0: Right. So, so the last time I was there, so I've been to Gen Con a number of different times, but it's tapered off since I've since- Kids, uh, so the last time I was there was in 2014, and then I was there for the I think the first year that it was in indie was his I think 2007. I could have that wrong, um, but in any case, 2014 was the last time I was there, and the last time I was there, they were just contemplating taking off over Lucas Oil Stadium to overload it with gamers. Uh, this year they did, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I show my friends that like, wow, that's a really big convention. I'm like, they took over this whole that's football the stadium. Overflow. Yeah, this is the overflow. Like it's not. This is a small fraction of the overall convention. It was so yep. huge. But it was really impressive to walk into Lucas Oil Stadium and see the entire playing field of this football stadium covered with, with gaming tables,
1: right? They've had that for the last six or seven years, I think. I, I don't know exactly how long. But what was interesting is the games Aaron plays, the 25-plus the year-long living campaign Sparks of West End Games D6, it used to be on the far end of the field. Because they had so many games on the field that they gave Game Bay Seven and Spark Four Seven better locations, less noisy. Yes, um, you know, <laughs> nice. Uh, the tables were a bit nicer. Things like that. It, it it was hard to find them because it was a new place. But right, like like what I'm trying to get at is. Not only is Lucas Oil the field of Lucas Oil Stadium, but now it's spreading out into like the outer parts of Lucas Oil Stadium.
0: Yeah, it's 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 a pretty impressive. And the convention itself is just it's tremendously huge, um, which I think is an interesting experience. But if you don't like large crowds, Gen Con may not be great for you. Like the exhibit hall, the first day we were packed in almost solid trying just like we did one loop that took us like a half an hour. And they're like, got to leave, got to get to our games. Um, It it thinned out somewhat. (laughs) I will say, uh, just to remind you,
1: that loop was like an eighth of the exhibit hall that we got through. (laughs) Because if you're going to go and you want to avoid some of the crowds, do not try to go into the exhibit hall most of the first day. Like it opens, I think, at 10. And there's people waiting outside since before nine. And there's a huge rush. Uh, and then there's still a lot of people get going in because people want to see all the stuff that's there. But also some vendors will have a limited edition or a limited amount of mm-hmm. certain things there. Like uh, there's the new Disney card game that was coming out and they only had so many packs per day. The line out, line just for that was like it's, it's what you would see at like a Comic-Con.
0: I was told there were no thing. lines. <laughs> What's that? But uh, I was told there were no lines. <laughs> there was uh, some follow-ups after. No, there, there's no lines at Gen Con actually there are. Um It depends. Yeah. 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 So that was that was cool. So they they they, they ran a, a gazillion games. So uh over 10,000 tickets sold for Dungeons and Dragons and its derivatives. Um obviously 5th edition is was the most popular, but there were like every version of it. Was run. That was far and away the, the largest number of tickets sold. But all other tickets were more than Dungeons and Dragons. Like if you sum up all the other tickets sold for all the other RPGs, and so somebody put it. I, I'm spinning this as more people didn't want to play D and D than did want to play D and D. Which I get. Yeah, you know, I, I see where you're coming from. Um, but for me, and I think for many people, when you go to Gen Con, it's an opportunity to play different games. I can play D and D any um, I I can't play uh, most of the games I want to play all the time. The groups that I used to play with, especially
1: in college age, were we want to play our long-term campaign and we don't want to switch systems or anything else like that or switch campaigns. And so Gen Con for me was a chance to dig into and find all these new other games that I never normally get a chance to play. And the numbers you're quoting are purely the role-playing game side. You know, There's a huge huge board game side. There's a huge uh, miniature side. Uh, huge card game size uh, side of things as well, uh, which we didn't even pull up because we're more interested in the role-playing game side.
0: So Yeah, so to give credit where credit is due, um, this is from an N-World thread um, Mm. where uh, one of the posters had broken down a whole bunch of, basically just did the math based on what was available in terms of what board games ran. Pathfinder, still popular, 2,400, uh, almost 2,500 tickets sold. Dungeon Crawl Classics, almost 1,200 tickets sold. Call of Cthulhu, uh, 993, um, it starts to drop off. Uh, Shadowrun was still pretty popular. I think they still have a living campaign for Shadowrun 2, which probably bolsters some of their numbers at 920. Starfinder is 788. Interestingly, Tales of the Valiant is, uh, this was actually a playtest playtest tables for Cobalt Press's new like 5e variant, right? So that had a right. whole bunch of tables, almost a thousand tables. Um Everyday Heroes had 500 tables. Root, the RPG 377. So it, you definitely get into the long tail phenomenon as you get into more and more obscure RPGs. <laughs> there were few and fewer tables of them. But you could have played I, Paranoia, you could have played Delta Green, you could have played Morp Borg, you could have played The Witcher if, I don't know, you had actually registered in May instead of doing what I did, which was July. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) what i find interesting is star wars west end game star wars you know like the original star wars role-playing game is uh number 14 on that list and i and i guarantee you that (laughs) 99 percent of those tickets came from the sparks campaign and they would have run more but they didn't have enough judges
0: so overall i would say gen con continues to be Fun. You should go there with a plan. Uh, I know when I went to 2014, and we had talked about this on previous episodes of the podcast. I was dumb, and I brought too many books and a big backpack. <laughs> right, and I ended up yep. like killing my back walking around Gen Con, and then buying stuff and putting it in my backpack. So this year, I did take my 25 liter Osprey day pack, and it forced me to uh, to limit. I didn't bring any gaming supplies, uh, including to my everlasting embarrassment. Dice, <laughs> which is why we had to go into the exhibition hall on Thursday because I didn't have any yep. dice. But thankfully, yep. David lended me, lended my son and I uh, dice because uh, my son was my son and I were both there for a Thursday and he played a couple of games with us. So. Well, we had
1: that early game, uh, which I guess we could just actually talk about. Which was, Segway, man. We liked it so much. I believe we each picked up a copy. I, I do of- believe we did. The Marvel Multiverse Role Playing Game uh, by friend of the show Matt Forbeck. That's the only name on this cover. <laughs> Marty also wrote a decent amount as well, uh, but we played in I'm trying to remember what it was called. But basically, it was a I think it was Contest of Champions. It might have actually been called. We played. It was a two hour slot on Thursday, and it kind of got us into uh, into the game, uh, under you know, kind of understanding how it was played. Uh, we each got a, a little Marvel die out of it. They have an interesting system. It's a D6, <laughs> and there's a six on one side, but instead of the one, there's a Marvel on the other. And uh, they call it the 616 system, which is, I think, a reference to the Marvel Earth 616. Uh, but if you roll the Marvel uh, and succeed, that's, that Marvel counts as a six. Um, so you basically have two sixes on the die, um uh, if you and if you roll the marble and succeed, you know, amazing things start happening. If you roll a marble and <laughs> fail, bad
0: things happen. I don't think anybody had that happen to them during our game. Really fast. Um I was concerned about how quickly it would take down the big bads because I think we killed Ultron clone. Like <laughs> we just dropped him. We just, well, in, uh, your son, your son did marvel with yes. Bucky Barnes with
1: the with a, a rifle and just like headshotted the guy, and then the GM was, well, it can't just end like that. So he has another full on right. Ultron show up, and then who was it? Who, it was an electrical I
0: person. I can't remember which character. But then we took that one out pretty quickly, too. Yeah, and, that, the- and that one, like, it wasn't a one-shot, but it was a one-round. Yes, but it went better on Sunday. It was a more diverse set of uh, opponents, so there were, you mm-hmm. couldn't focus all your attention on one guy, and so right, um, I felt like, it, and there was a scenario where you're trying to get across a battlefield to be able to escape from Battle World or Planet Hulk or whatever, and so I felt like it went really well. And so I was, I'm a Marvel head. I love the X Men. Matt posted on. Um, one of the social media platforms that there will be an X-Men source book, like he's working on X-Men source books. I'm like, you had me at Marvel and you kept me at X-Men. I think I will actually get my friends to play it. Like this has been, I've played a fair number of superhero games and this was like the fastest, easiest to manage at the table with just people just picking it up and going. It may not ultimately be as crunchy as you would get out of a Mutants of Masterminds or a hero system or what have you, but you know what? Like it captured the, the feel of a Marvel superhero adventure. With minimal characters, I I am going to say it was a con game,
1: and so (laughs) and they were kind of a demo game. So they may have not not watered down, but like streamlined some of the way that the rules go. But I think they were probably trying to hit as many of the rules as as possible. But so, but yeah, it was it was easy to pick up. You you basically have three die six, and you just roll them, and you you do a little bit of math and then your hit and damage roll is one roll. If you hit, you basically have like a multiplier, uh, an addition and then a multiplier to figure out what your damage is based on your two hit roll. Um, and it was, and so that made things a little snappier as well. So, uh, we had heard, uh, some not so great things about the play test, the rules of it. And, uh, evidently the the game designers and Matt and Marty had all pulled in and redid a lot of the stuff and took in that playtest feedback and it seemed really nice and snappy to me. I, I'm, I don't have a lot of experience with superhero role-playing games, playing them. I've played uh, Godsend Agenda and Mythic D6 from Jerry Grayson and I played a, a fair amount of champions, but I haven't played Pretty much any of the others. Take my advice
0: with a grain of salt. Yeah, I think this would be the the, the next best one. I can I've personally played is is Savage Worlds with the superpower the superheroes companion. I haven't had a chance to read the book yet because we came back from vacation, went on vacation again. Now I'm back to start a term at the college where I work, and so things are bonkers. The, the thing about the book is, I don't know if folks can see like I don't know at least a third, a third? of the book yeah. is just characters. They've got the color bled
1: to the edges. Um, and each section is color coded and the red section is all characters from across all Marvel. Right. Um, and it's a, a pretty diverse selection of characters. So if you just want to like pick a Marvel character and start going with it, you totally can.
0: And if you want to be the DM who's like, oh no, the X-Men came across, you know, the young Avengers, boom, boom, boom. Here's the young Avengers. I don't have to stat them out. So, yep. um, I'm curious to sit down and maybe I can get my friends to play it. If nothing else, I'll try and do it at a Gen Con, a Gen Con, Con. you know, my local gaming convention. But cool. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was cool. Um I think we probably geeked out about it enough. Good job, Matt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Although yeah, we, we, did, did. We, um, we did
1: get to play another game that you often geek out about. Um, Indeed.
0: Newton Crawl <laughs> Classics.
1: Yes. And... We did something that I don't think either you or I have ever done, especially in a con game, which was
0: n- not play a funnel. Crazy, right? Who knew that yeah. these existed? Like high level characters. It was fantastic. Yeah, like, <laughs> what, what was it? Fifth level characters? <laughs> I think so. They were almost gods. Yeah. Yeah. And and weirdly enough, we we lived. We did. We made some good choices. We had some lucky rolls. We had some funky artifacts. Uh, It was a good table. Um, We were investigating some village-destroying machine that we had to then infiltrate and then figure out how to, like, disable or figure out, like, the mystery of what the machine was. And I particularly liked it because I'm planning on running an event. I'm actually going to put my uh, events up on... um, Lair of Secrets at some point in the near future for at Mepicon this fall. And one of the events I'm doing is a Mutant Crawl Classics event called Beyond the Funnel because I'm tired of playing funnels. <laughs> and so this was really helpful to understand, like, if you're playing higher-level Mutants and Masterminds, or not Mutants and Masterminds, Mutant Crawl Classics, what is attractive, like, what's fun? And so making sure you got a couple of artifacts lying around is fun, right? Like, being able to use your powers is fun. Kind of embracing mm-hmm. some of that wackiness is fun.
1: Yeah, like... When I played it, I wasn't sure what to think going into it because it's kind of part of that OSR, you know, revival that happened, um, you know, started happening a decade or so ago. And, you know, so it was like, am I going to go in and be playing this fifth level character and then like still easily die? Right. Um, (laughs) Or is it going to be like, am I going to have to say, oh, I check every single – you know, nut and bolt in this room to discover the clue, or you know, is it going to be more like what I envisioned? Gamma World was was when I wanted to play it when I was a kid, uh, and it was kind of all of the above. Uh, I mean, no one died, but it could have been pretty deadly. Yes, uh, but it, the GM. Uh, the GM was was amazing. He was a really good GM. And our table also seemed to like to role play a little bit. We had one guy who was role playing. I don't remember what the, the class is, but he was kind of like a, a tech priest sort of thing that was uh, tuned into an AI through some sort of weird Wi-Fi connection to his brain. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so he, he had, uh, I, he had some, some interesting ways to play that character and it was pretty cool. And yet we also did some puzzle solving and like trying to figure stuff out. And, uh, yeah, I, I liked it. It was fun.
0: Yeah. So in t- speaking of clues, I uh, I finally got to play trail of Cthulhu, which I've had, uh, I've had the fall of Delta green, which is a Trail of Cthulhu style game by, uh, Ken Height, um, another game I haven't read yet, but you know I have it, and one of these days I'll play it. Um, and I wasn't sure how the mechanics were going to work because it's different from Call of Cthulhu. Call of Cthulhu is a percentile based; you try and roll under that sort of thing. And Delta Green does the same thing, except if you roll doubles, then you, either something good or bad happens. And with Trail of Cthulhu, you basically have points associated with your attributes, and then if you spend those points, you get clues. And and so it's interesting because you're gonna get the clues. And my concern with with the game was that if you're going to get the clues, or am I just railroading the players through? And I think the answer is no, because ultimately you still have to put those clues together, right? The game is going to help you move on to the next scene. You're not going to get stuck. But, you know, they they offer advice like, if you're stuck, ask more questions, right? If you're stuck, look at your environment. Um, and so it, cool. it does make it more investigative and it did make it somewhat more narrative and and it becomes more of a resource style thing because you might have library use and you're spending that point to be able to do the research in the library which grants you the clue but then you can't do that later right, right. because but but if you're really good at library use because you're the you know the librarian who walks around with a sword cane you're going to have a number of ranks in that, but you might also have one in athletics, and so the question is, when does the old man use his one in athletics to be able to succeed at a particular thing? It's a cool system. I re- we really enjoyed it. It invo- involved this like time splintered family from like families basically drawn from across different timelines to deal with an extra dimensional incursion, and then um, my son showed up and like my daughter showed up. The in game characters obviously and, right. uh, and like everybody's very confused as we're trying to put it all together and then i think uh yeah we half the party got no i think i think it was a tpk i think it was a tpk <laughs> i know you got like
1: pulled into some sort of time vortex yes uh, yes because it was because, the logical
0: thing to do right
1: <laughs> yeah logical but world ending
0: yes yes the world ended because of what we did yeah. um so you got to about the same place you probably would have gotten to in Call of Cthulhu. It was just a slightly different path, and <laughs> it was fun. I want to—I want I, I now actually want to read my—I well, still wanted to because Ken Hyde's a good writer, but um, <laughs> I I, I want to go back and look at it, and I think I can get my friends to play it. It was interesting. So is Trail of Cthulhu, when you spend those points, do you also use
1: dice, or is it more of a dice Yes, I think thing? you're
0: spending your—it's been a little bit. There's like a, a bit of a dice pool, if I remember correctly— I don't have my character sheet in front of me, so I, that would fine. help me remember the specifics of it. But I, I'm just wondering
1: if it was like like I've never played it, I've never run it, but like Amber diceless. You were saying spend points, you get clue, uh, but I didn't hear mention of dice. So it sounds so, like there's dice and spend points get clue.
0: Yeah. So if I so if it's coming back to me ever so slowly, everybody. It, been a very long day. <laughs> you have a pool of like investigative skills, and that that you can spend points on, and then you have other skills that are like your action skills, and so you can choose to spend those to, I think, buff your rolls. If I remember exactly how this works, um, something along those lines. So it was fun. Like you, you were still rolling dice. I mean, I, I enjoy rolling dice, and there was like a, a chance of failure. But the, the key thing is the story's not going to stall because you didn't find the old man with the grimoire right? That was hidden gotcha. behind the wall. And, gotcha. and the world ended because of that. The world ended right. because we made bad choices. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Which is how it should be. Yep. Uh, you got in with the Irregulars, right?
1: I did. Uh, Dresden's Irregulars. Um, so there's a group that I like to play with when I can get tickets for them at Gen Con called Infinite Imaginations. Um, and they've expanded a lot of uh, the different games that they that they do with different GMs. And one of the things that they do is they'll run like Dresden's Irregulars has evidently been running for several years. Uh, I think this is the first time I've ever really sat down with them. Uh, I usually play like a champions or superhero version uh, with a different set of GMs, but they will run a con game and then the end of the con game will inform the adventure for the next year, like the characters all uh, kind of. Uh, it's, it's more of a episodic sort of adventure where the characters mature and grow and change. Gotcha. Uh, And like, for instance, one of the characters we found out was, I'm trying to remember exactly what she was. Um, it was like, it was like a a month later or something. (laughs) She was like a thousand years old. We thought she was a little weird. She was supposed to be part of the Paranet, but she's like a thousand years old. The reason why I don't remember is because I was playing, uh, Pippin's tooth, something, 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 Pip. Uh, who was um, a pixie, part of Major General Toot Toot's army uh, from you know Harry that follows Harry Dresden, uh, but Pip is uh, with these Dresden's irregulars, and so I had fun both being sneaky and finding out information, and also acting like a pixie would.
0: <laughs>
1: it was a lot of fun. Uh, usually those are a lot of role playing and only occasionally picking up the Dyson Uh and so we were in New Orleans and it, trying to investigate things and it was very much kind of a Isle of Dr. Moreau where they were taking <laughs> two different they, they weren't taking animals and making them into humans but they were taking two different animals and smooshing them together uh, right. and making weird things like, Cat birds, where they have like a raven with the head of a cat on the, on them. The weird one was
0: uh um that's arachnid not weird.
1: squirrels, where they took <laughs> like a tarantula and the head of a squirrel. Um oh. and yeah, it was it was weird. In order to glue these things together, they would capture magical beings, mostly pixies, and basically turn them into magical glue and then adhere these sort of or grow these sort of things together. And so we uh, we tracked down who was doing it, where it was being done. uh, And there's like this big necromancer who I don't remember the name, but I'm pretty sure he's one of the the Dresden necromancers from when Harry rode the T-Rex skeleton Sue uh, from the Natural History Museum down through downtown Chicago sort of thing. Uh, that necromancer, I believe that was him. Um, and so it was like his group of disciples. One of the disciples was doing this. Uh, and so we uncovered it and messed up that operation. And it was it was a lot of fun. Um, I would play next year as well to see how these characters evolve as well. It's pretty
0: cool. cool. Yeah, sounds like fun. I like the I like the games that continue. I I did that a couple for a couple years at Mepicon where I was doing a Days After Ragnarok campaign, where the characters continued to have ongoing adventures, and it was nice because you got to build up like some players, and then life happened, and I stopped. Yeah, but who knows? Drake, it, it, was, back.
1: <laughs> it was different than a living campaign. You don't create your own character. Oh uh, right, no, I, have, I would return it's with the same like,
0: characters. Right,
1: yeah, you you come back, and those characters are still there. And one of the things I like is you may not play the same character. That you did the last time, but you know right. how they've been played yes. because you've been there a couple times before.
0: Right. Yeah. Like I had this uh, Conan ripoff, Koromir, who <laughs> big sword and a machine gun. That was a shtick, nice. jumped out of things, nice. what have you. And so, like, the, the first adventure was uh, trying to repel. Oh, what, no, what was it? I don't remember. It was like a. And it was set in New York City. And then the next one was set in um, the flooded Northeast and like Lake Champlain fighting lake monsters. And then I never got to do the third one. Maybe I did. <laughs> anyway uh, so I I uh, I did I did we both bought some stuff I bought more than you did
1: yeah I was like <laughs> you at Gen con last year <laughs> I was an enabler for you of yes. pointing out cool things that you should buy
0: yes and so I did and so we're, we'll talk real quick about some of those so I got I was looking forward to getting this and I knew that I was gonna pick it up at gen con which is the uh, danger gal dossier which is basically a big book of NPCs and factions by R. Talsorian for Cyberpunk Red. One of the things I've struggled a little bit with is I mean we've only done one session, but as I'm planning the next session it's like well you don't want to just like keep using the same like mooks and villains from the core rulebook. You can sure you can tweak them a little bit, but um this gives you factions, so you can tell like, you know, there's other gangs and what have you that the players can run up against, like who their actual fixers are, and then there's stat blocks for the NPCs, and there's even some guidance on how to create your own NPCs expanding upon what they had in the in the core Cyberpunk Red book. So that was pretty nifty. I started reading it. I'm enjoying it. I got uh half fi- I was so. if you are a Cyberpunk Red campaign uh GM, I would say pick it up because it will be it adds to too. the setting in the world and the flavor it does. And it gives you stuff that you can just pull and run with, which I'm in very much in that mood right now, um, especially since it's a shorter campaign. Like, I'm not going to get good at making NPCs for cyberpunk red. Right. Like I also don't have the time to get good at making pen pieces for right. Punk Red because right. I have my Elemental Apocalypse campaign which I need <laughs> to get good at making characters for uh, which I have D and D Beyond for. But I got Pathfinder's uh, Rage of the Elements. This is the first path second Pathfinder two point book I bought um, mostly for lore and just like it's pr- it's pretty easy to to kind of like tweak these things to get them into fifth edition because um, it's all just like a derivative of. You know D20, right? So right. All right, they had some cool stuff. This this Fury Rage of the Elements uh, has a bunch of different elemental monsters. It introduces wood, and I can't remember what the other element was. It's more than earth, air, fire, water.
1: Right. There's it's metal. Metal and wood. Metal, and wood. metal and wood are the two others. Yeah. They're bringing in some more Eastern-inspired elements as well.
0: Yeah. So which is cool. Which they're going to factor into some of their their campaign work in Pathfinder 2.0 or yeah, Pathfinder. Two, future Pathfinder 2.0 releases as they're moving things along. I picked up... So we already talked about Mutants and Masterminds. Uh oh, not Mutants and Masterminds. I'm going to keep saying that. Mult- Marvel Mul- Multiverse. Marvel Multiverse. <laughs> Marvel yeah. Multiverse. So uh, at Modiphius Games, uh, I picked up two things because they looked really cool. So the first is the Solo Game Master's Guide, um, which actually I think is is somewhat of... A, it offers a lot of good advice for... People who want to run their own games by themselves. We've talked some about those, like, you know, um, Iron and Star Forged. Um, but it's actually got a fair amount of advice uh, for just that as a GM, you could use for anything. Like, if you're just trying to come up with hooks for why is this player here or why is this character here? Well, you have that problem no matter what you're doing. If you're if you're the yeah. game master, you're running it for yourself. You still have to figure out what is the hook that's getting me interested in this NPC? And it provides a lot of advice for that. It has a lot of tables. Um, It's by Geek Gamers. There's a YouTube channel for this, which I had never heard of before. Apparently exceedingly popular. Um, I I don't recall the woman's name who runs it, but everybody else knows it. So (laughs) we'll we'll include it in the show notes. But she does videos of her playing these games. And so she wrote this book, which is being uh, published by Modiphius and looks pretty cool because I also got Star Trek Adventures Captain's Log, the solo role-playing game because I have Star Trek Adventures and I think I got like all the PDFs through a Humble Bundle or something and I've never mm. played it. So this is allowing me to play some Star Trek. So nice. um, it's like a, it's like a stripped down version of the main um Star Trek Adventure rules, so it feels like if you wanted to pull from one of the different source books, you could probably pretty easily do it. I haven't gotten very far into it because I'm just being totally bouncing all over the place, but (laughs) that's a good problem to have. You also have picked up, um, just a quick
1: count here, five games at Gen Con, five different systems at least at Gen Con. Well, yeah, yeah. And then in addition to like the alien role playing game that I see behind your shoulder that you still haven't played, and
0: <laughs> that's right, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, I have a few things, and I am trying to be good and actually get all of my adventures written for MEPicon like a month before MEPicon. Like, right. I've submitted right. my events, they're published, but I haven't written them yet, so I need to finish writing. Now, have
1: you, have you, did you take my advice and did one game and then run it multiple times? Or are you still doing three different games? Yeah, okay. You're giving yourself a lot of work. <laughs> I am,
0: so that's why I'm starting now because I'm and I'm gonna get it done. Uh, yeah, I'm running nice. Mutant Call Classics, uh, Mothership, and um, Gasoline Refueled. But Gasoline Refuel nice. is the easiest one, right? Because that's you just come up with a layout. Remember, how that's, a, the that's a that's sort of yeah, a minis game sort of game So it's really only like, two as you RPGs. Come up with the,
1: yeah, as long as you come up with a a good scenario uh, and layout, you're you're pretty much good.
0: Yeah, so I also got dice. I got glow-in-the-dark dice, which my friends will love. Uh, somehow, a fate die got stuck in here from uh, playing with the kids over the summer. But uh, so, die glow-in-the-dark, green dice and gray dice from Chessex. They were fantastic. I love them. Um, yes. And then I also got funky dice because I could not resist the temptation, even though they were like 25 bucks. Um, They're yeah. like. Uh, they're funky dice for D, uh, Dungeon Crawl Classics. So, there are all the different shapes, you know, like the D30 and what have you. And they're like a uh, violet purple sort of color, which I think is perfect for Mutant Crawl Classics. These are, are going to be my which, Mutant Crawl which Classics. Which we used dice. in
1: the Mutant Crawl Classics game. Which we so, did, which we did. It bought expressly it, for. So, it, like, I, I don't know. I probably would get used to them if I used them <laughs> a lot. But, like, trying to figure out is this a D14 or is this a D20? Is this right. a D whatever? Is this? A, yeah. I mean, they are funky, funky shapes, but also like the the more sides you get, the more they blend together of like right. which one's
0: which. The um, D24 and the D20, right? It's yeah. just four more numbers, but you know, it's, the, yeah. and it's so it's a little bit bigger. <laughs> yeah. I, like I, I would have to
1: start looking at a die face. And looking at the shape of that, I think, in order to figure out, because you can't just go, "Oh, that's the round one. That's the d twenty. That's right. the square one. That's the d 6 You know, they're they're all kind of similar. Like they do, they start to blend together. And so, right. except for like the, the D7. intermediate <laughs> pieces,
0: huh? <laughs> the smaller D7. dice, like the d seven, the, the, the d four is kind of funky too. It's not a traditional like pyramid d4 right um the last thing i no, got but it was, rolls
1: it rolls better than a traditional d4 i, I would will say, say that it does
0: i would say it does the last thing i got was uh, the bag war saga for nights at the dinner table um it's one of my favorite storylines for the dinner table i got to finally um meet uh, jolly blackburn and uh barb blackburn um whom I, i've been writing for nights at the dinner table for like 20 uh, something years so more than that maybe but for way longer than I've had kids, (laughs) but I I haven't seen them since origins in 2007. So uh, it was cool to have like hang out and chat with them and what have you. So, um, yeah, that was, that's, that's the hall from Gen Con. So, yeah, there's one other thing, Um, but that's on your list. Uh, well, you don't, you don't (laughs) have it
1: yet. Uh, we're going to try and get one for you. Oh, no, no,
0: no. This is the other thing that's on your list. Oh, the other things
1: on my list. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> as I said, I was an enabler, not just in buying things, but just getting games in general. Um, now, that's a separate one.
0: Uh, <laughs> wait, did you buy what?
1: Did you buy? No, a no. no I, it? I,
0: well, I got no. I got the I got the quick start guide. So the quick start guide. Okay. Dreams okay. and machines, but yeah. I'm so your I was going to start with something else, but yeah. So this is
1: this is the RPG starter set uh, for Dreams and Machines, and this is actually former Overlord Chris Miller's uh, set, uh, cause I've already opened mine. Uh, uh, I did record a little unboxing video, which I'll maybe put up on the channel, but I really love the concept. You know, I've been talking about Dyson fall for a while, um, and how it's kind of hope punk and how it's in a post-apocalyptic future. It's got a kind of Kipo in the age of the wonder beasts meets, uh, gamma world meets horizon zero dawn sort of, sort of feels uh, to it in a Hope Punk fashion. And lo and behold, someone has made a very (laughs) similar game. In the past, I may have been discouraged and just gone like, well, someone already made it. Um, But now this is like, wait, someone made this, which means people are interested in this. Right. Uh, So I'll keep going on Dysonfall. Um, And I like a lot of the concepts in here. We talked – with Chris Birch, uh, and so we'll be releasing that interview as well, Uh, and they've got some interesting ideas for when the full game comes out, which they have not said when it will come out yet. I'm looking forward to it. I did play this with my family with the idea that on the the back here it says, play right out of the box, and one of the the things was you, even as a GM, should be able to open this up and start playing, and... It's mostly true. Um, <laughs> like it steps through an intro tutorial that slowly builds and slowly introduces things to you. But there are there are some missing pieces, uh, I would say, in terms of like getting things really going. Uh, like they talk about truths, but you have to kind of hunt for what those truths do mechan- mechanically. So they'll gotcha. introduce truths, but they won't. They Uh, I think this was just an oversight. They don't say what it actually does when you introduce a truth. Um, And there are certain things on, you you build your character with certain cards and there are some things in there that are on the cards, but they don't say that you have them or not as part of the tutorial. And so again, I think that was just an oversight. Uh, Other than those things, the tutorial does a really pretty good job of introducing you to both the setting, the tone, especially of the world mm-hmm. and the rules itself. I'm, I'm still uh, very happy with it. I'm going to be going on a writing retreat in September and uh, Chris Miller's going to be joining me. You might be joining me. We we don't know about that yet.
0: Figuring out logistics. <laughs> um,
1: uh, and I I was going to try and run this as a, as a side like palate cleanser from writing and stuff. We'll see how that goes. So yeah, it was it
0: was cool to to hear about it.
1: Um, yeah, I'm I'm very interested in hearing about uh, and seeing how the full game turns out because it it has like the box set has like cardboard punch outs for things like supply points. Um, you know, rather than finding oh you find you know a couple pipes or you find this other stuff, you can get supply points that you can then trade in. You know, do some bartering and stuff in, uh, back at the settlement. But there's also a mechanic that says, Hey, you can take a number of supply points and build some sort of thing like a grappling hook or a spear or whatever, you know, it's kind of like spending a fate point or spending a Benny to make something happen or that you have a piece of equipment. And that piece of equipment will hold together that jury rigged piece of equipment will hold together for the scene that it's in, and then it will, and then you know, it'll probably break or fall apart. You you will have had it when you needed it most, and you there's a mechanic for how to bring that about, and I I like that, and I like yep. the physical tactile feel of those cardboard punch out things.
0: Yeah, we got we got into this with the, when we were talking about the when we did the interview with Modiphius, and I the one of the things that I thought was very interesting was the world building aspects where it's expected that your character is going to retire. And then yeah. it will be replaced by a new character from your town who has like who levels up basically like he's a one of the more advanced archetypes or something. But your old character's still there; it's part of the community, and like that's the case for all of the PCs from that initial adventuring party. So the the idea that there's sort of a natural progression that your character will retire and become part of the world and inform the story, and like it, it's always no been care. in D anD D, you get to like name level, you get a stronghold, and then well, I guess we're done with the campaign. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: it's it feels a little bit more like Gloomhaven or one or two other board games, I think, that do it where you start out with kind of like this low level or um, sort of person and they go on a few adventures, but that's not what they do for their whole life. And so they kind of come back and become the farmer or the trader or even the guardian of the community. And then when you create that next character, they're. A, they're a more powerful sort of class. Um, right. Access to more stuff, but because your old characters, your group's old characters, are now part of the community, you care more about the community. It's not just NPCs that the GM has come up with. They're your former characters, and so I like that personal tie to the community.
0: And I think the the hope punk that it's part of like the hope punk thing, and I think that's like an advantage of this game over Numenera, which my Friends and I just never really clicked with because we just Mm -hmm. never felt like the world was almost too weird and we just couldn't figure out a way to orient ourselves to it. And we couldn't seem to make an impact on it because all the impact had happened over the nine previous worlds or the previous, you know, dimensions or realities or whatever that came before. So it was cool. I'm looking forward to seeing more of it. Yep. Yep.
1: Yeah, and I, and I actually didn't get into the like, – like I said, it was Hope Punk and everything, but I didn't actually say like <laughs> what the setting was. Right. Um, you're actually not on Earth. You're on another planet that was being colonized and something happened that cut you off from Earth. And so they had uh, about 200 or so years ago had developed an AI and, a, and machines that basically would help humanity and there, it became like a Star Trek sort of – utopia where, uh, the hard work, the, and, and other things like that were, were done by machines. And, you know, it wasn't, you know, humans didn't need to work as much. They could go into the arts, they could do whatever. Um, you know, they could, they could create and not have to worry about the day to day. And, and then the AI that was controlling all these things went crazy, uh, at least according to humans and started Killing all humans. They became Bender. Um, <laughs> and uh, and so in order to stop things, uh, both sides used nuclear weapons and bombed each other into the Stone Age. And that was the end of the war. Uh, humans survived and they kind of decided to uh, both kind of survival wise uh, needed to come back from all of that. But also... Kind of made the conscious choice not to strive as fast for the high technology but now 200 years later uh, a lot of these mechs when the ai shut down just stopped moving uh, but weren't destroyed and so occasionally now these mechs will wake up they're called wakers um and most of the time will start doing what they were doing before and trying to kill all humans <laughs> right um, and there's supposed to be fiction and stuff that goes along with it, where there's this girl who has a uh, who has one of these mechs just kind of in her garden, and one day it wakes up, but instead of killing her and her entire village, uh, befriends her, and she goes around with it, and you know convinces people that no, it's not horrible, that they shouldn't destroy it, and she goes on adventures with it. That's kind of the aesthetic of the rule books is her annotating the rules uh, with marker and washi tape uh, to kind of like put her own spin (laughs) on the rule book. Right. We did already talk at length about the Marvel role playing game. So, yes, I did get it as well. And that was really all I bought. Even though these are two pretty hefty things, I actually got rid of more... Weight of games <laughs> yes. at Gen Con right. than, than I, I bought without... uh, because I gave Ken my Space Hulk game, my first <laughs> edition Space Hulk and De- with Deathwing expansion, and uh, I hope you have fun in those narrow
0: corridors. So uh, I cannot uh, wait. It's been years since I last played Space Hulk. I haven't shared it with my friends yet. Like I'm just going to be once I, when things have settled down, like once we get past Labor Day, I'm just going to like take a picture of it, share it to the group, and be like. We're doing this on this date. Show up. <laughs> yep, yep. And maybe your your son can play with you too. So yeah, yeah. Uh, he and I could definitely take, take it. Maybe I'll take it with me this weekend. I there wonder. are
1: some scenarios that have enough Terminators uh, in it uh, that you that I have played a four player game with two players playing Terminators and two players playing Gene Stealers. Yeah, that's how we use and do the it. map. And the map is big enough to to support all of that. And then yeah. you can kind of like coordinate between each other and make plans that are, of course, destroyed when the jeans dealers arrive or when the Flamer Marine incinerates everything in a room. Uh, Yeah, I
0: mean, that's we're we're getting together with my wife's family this weekend for uh, Labor Day weekend. And the last time we did that and I brought a new board game, it was uh, Pandemic Legacy season one. We Mm -hmm. opened that box, and three months later, there was a pandemic. So I don't Mm -hmm. know if by bringing Space Hulk, I'm uh, endangering the world by unleashing uh, gene stealers upon the population. It seems kind of risky. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you (laughs) – and and I don't know if Space Hulk is uh,
1: (laughs) – like Pandemic and Pandemic Legacy is more of a game that you could – Introduced to people who are not used to board games, but I don't know that Space Hulk is. No, the I same. don't think
0: Space Hulk's going to do it, but I'm so unless attentive. they're real alien fans. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So, hey, look, at another segue. Uh, oh, we yeah? talked to a number of different people at Gen Con. We're going to be releasing those as one-off episodes. Um, we spoke to. Um, we've already mentioned uh, Modiphius, um, where we talked about uh, dreams and machines and Cohors Cthulhu, which is their new like um, Roman Empire era. Dark Ages sort of Cthulhu. Yep. So you've got you know barbarians and gladiators and you know German uh, uh, everyday people, right? The Germanic tribes. The Germanic tribes, thank you. I knew there was a better word for yeah. everyday people. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and we and we spoke with and the person we spoke with was Chris, Chris Birch, who was one of the founders of Modiphius. Um, and uh, we talked about a few other things in there. Um, Yes. Mostly Dreams and Machines and Cohorts of Cthulhu
0: because that was their new stuff. Yeah. Um, We met with Free League as well to talk about the alien role-playing game, which, again, I have all of the books uh, I never play. Um, But there's a new book coming out that I cannot play (laughs) called Building Better Worlds, which I will totally buy because, you know, of course I need another source book for building worlds in sci-fi settings. Um, We also talked about uh, The One Ring and the new um, – Minds of Moria expansion. Minds of Moria expansion that's coming out for that. Um, and that Blade was Runner. Tomas... I don't remember his last name offhand. Yeah, we have uh, our... It'll, it will all be in the interviews. It will be in um, the interviews, yeah. Yeah. So we talked about Blade Runner 2. They also, like, swept... I can't say they swept the Ennies, but they got a number of gold Ennies. So that was, that was pretty cool. Uh, and they also have Dragon Bane, which is an English edition of a... St- Swedish role-playing game that's like their version of Dungeons and Dragons and like that's the one that everybody played yeah wasn't we, it wasn't it based off of RuneQuest I think is what it he in the said earliest. yeah like it weird it went a weird like side quest there are ducks in it but we answer the question why are there ducks fighting monsters and it yeah. was a pretty it was a pretty amusing interview for that yeah um Got to also reconnect with my Swedish roots a little bit, but, uh, <laughs> um, we also talked with evil genius games about their everyday heroes, um, game, which has just come out, which is essentially, it's a, it's an update of, um, it's D20 modern edition update yeah, the, of D20 modern.
1: Yes, um, yes, exactly. And it looks uh, pretty cool because it hits on like all of the geeky stuff of me growing up, um, right. you know, uh, it's got some newer stuff, uh, but like it has Highlander, you know? Yeah. And and some other stuff in there as well.
0: They they base so they're basically releasing splat books, campaign books, storybooks for different settings, different movie franchises and what have you. So they've got yep. you mentioned Highlander, that was the one they actually had like a massive game of Highlander where you got to win a replica Highlander sword at yep. Gen Con, which I thought was pretty cool and which i know yep. about it. Uh, but they're also releasing uh, Pacific Rim, Rambo, Kong, Kong Skull Island, um, Escape, uh, from, Escape new new York. from New York, and The Crow. And so basically right. these are adding a few new rules and a whole bunch of like background for a particular thing. And, and I believe like an adventure path type, like something for you to do. Yeah, we, we
1: talked a little bit about The Crow because it was like, how do you have more than one crow? Or how do you have a party of crows? Um, and there's the, the interview goes into it, but there's, they have a way to have a group of people, um, that aren't all just crows, uh, and yet have a good campaign. Uh, and that was pretty cool.
0: Yeah. And then lastly, we talked to Paizo, um, about their plans for Pathfinder 2.0, which is, you know, that that's their latest version of Pathfinder. They, they do this annual sort of progression of the campaign, which I, I was, um, aware of but hadn't been paying too much attention to because i just haven't been in the paizo space for a while but that was cool um and then obviously i got forge of uh, fury of elements which uh, ties into their current storyline we also talked to them about starfinder which is the sci-fi version of pathfinder uh currently and that's getting version, a 2.0 right I was just, soon. yeah i was just gonna say um so they're they're gonna be doing like a two-year play test or something like that for starfinder 2.0 um it's gonna incorporate what they've learned from Pathfinder 2.0. Um, we also talked about ORC, which is the uh, the new license that they have helped facilitate creating as an alternative to the um, to the OGL. Yep. And the uh, and the and for they te-
1: they they were talking to us. They technically don't own the right. ORC license. It's actually owned by a a law firm. It, since it's not owned by a particular game company, uh, it's easier for other game companies to pick up uh, with the knowledge that, you know, Paizo won't suddenly pull the rug out from under them uh, and say, oh, Orc is ours and here's the update to it that makes you owe us a billion dollars or something like
0: that. Right. Oh, you know, who would do that? That's just crazy talk. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) so that we'll be posting those, uh, over the next couple of weeks. And that's pretty much everything for this, uh, for this episode. So thanks for listening. If you have feedback, we love feedback. You can send it to us at podcast at layer but nobody ever does that. They do, however, uh, post over on Mastodon. We're at dice camp, dice.camp slash at layer of secrets, but the link will be in the show notes. Um, we've had some pretty lively conversations over there. I got to say that it's been, I'm liking dice camp more and more, especially as the latest wave of, of Twitter refugees shows up. Um, we stream this on Twitch, although not tonight, um, and if you would like to get your fix early and unedited, we'll be bringing back the Twitch feed at some point. Um, we're experimenting with some new technologies and ways of recording, and then you can also visit thelayerofsecrets.com and leave us some feedback, topic ideas, and uh, find all the other social sites we exist on. All right, welcome to the Lair of Secrets podcast, a podcast exploring the sprawling caverns of gaming, hidden treasures of geekdom, and the unexpected... unexpected but also occasionally uninspected insurrections, <laughs> Intersections insurrections. of I reality. I think
1: maybe we should restart the, <laughs> yeah. the intro. Okay, hold perhaps. on. I,
0: I'm clearly, uh, I didn't get a lot of sleep last night, so.